Hey guys, thank you for watching online all over the world. We are honored that you would watch LifePoint Church Services. Our mission statement around here is pointing people to a Christ-centered life, and we want to hear how that's happening through these sermons. So we would love for you to reach out to us through Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and tell us how God is moving in your life. Also, if you're a part of this service, but, but you're not close to a local campus, we want to help you get connected to a local body. Please reach out to us, and we will recommend some great churches in your area for you to be a part of. Again, thank you for being a part of LifePoint Church Online, and we hope God blesses you. No, man, I'm thankful to be up here this morning. I have the privilege and honor uh, to lead you guys as we dive into the text. Uh, I know that uh, a lot of the times our New Year's can be crazy, and, and you had New Year's parties last night. You had some muggy weather this morning, so thank you for being here. But over the last several weeks, we've been looking at how the advent of Christ radically changes our approach to Christmas. I hope you and your family had an amazing holiday season, but I as well hope that you took the time together as a family to look at the reason for our celebration, and that is Christ. But now that we've officially taken in all the Christmas movies that we can, we've watched Elf so many times it caught on fire, uh, and we're, we're kind of running on E from our holiday season of hustle and bustle, of going to this family thing, going to this family thing, going to this family thing, uh, it's kind of time for a deep breath and a reset. For most of us, that's what this time of year is about. After the ball drops and we break the vacuums out to get the confetti all back up, we tend to look forward, look for something new, something refreshing. We, we tend to establish goals and, and resolutions, and a lot of those are personal. I don't have some personal goals. I know you, some of you do too. And some of those are finding the quickest way to, to shed a few pounds before we go to vacation. So we strap on the Fitbits. We try to get our extra steps in, uh, stuff like that, because we want to feel that vibration when we get to 10,000 steps a day. We think our goals are met right there. Uh, but we sign up for a local gym in hopes that we might go this year instead of just donate this year. Uh, <laughs> but not all of our goals are personal. Many of us will set uh, financial goals with our family of, of giving, of investing, or, or saving. All of these goals are great. Alexis and I are going to set goals in the same vein as well. But however, this morning, I want to consider, or I want you to consider the possibility of an area of our lives that we've neglected to set goals for. And it's way more critical than our wallets and our waistlines. I'm talking about our souls. Resolutions are great, don't get me wrong, but do they ever find their way into our spiritual lives? Think about that. What if, before we sat down and broke out the calculators and the budgeting tools, and we transformed the treadmill back into a treadmill from the extension of our closet, uh, we sat down both personally and as a family to set some spiritual goals that are geared towards our holiness more than our happiness. I think if we were real with one another this morning, we would see that we've neglected this area, that we have some things that we need to improve upon together. Uh, this morning, we're going to be reading, out of the, uh, reading a text out of the book of Deuteronomy. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open those to the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, and this passage will be in uh, uh, chapter 6, 4 through 9. But I, I pray that you would allow the word to, to wash over you, to refresh you, and shape your goals for this coming year. For 2017, I challenge you to make Christ your all in all. So if you have those open, we're going to go ahead and dive right in. So verse 4, it says this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. 
You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. In the book of Deuteronomy, we see Moses starts off with what is known as the Shema. Now, the word Shema comes from the Hebrew word that means for hear or listen. The Shema is the most important prayer in all of Judaism and is often prayed daily by the Jews. In fact, it's such an important part of the Jewish faith that Christ himself recited it in the New Testament when asked what's the most important commandment. He started his answer with, hear, O Israel, and then went on to recite the rest of the Shema. It begins with a declaration of faith and allegiance to Christ, saying, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Moses begins the Shema by saying, listen, hear, believer, the Lord is God alone. It's a statement of exclusivity. Moses was saying that Yahweh was to be Israel's only God. There will be no other God. This is important because the promised land that Moses was leading the Israelites to would be inhabited with polytheistic nations of people. And don't freak out. Polytheistic just means they worship many gods. Their way of, the Israelites' way of life would be challenged by the culture and deism that they would encounter. It continues to go on to say what's known as the great commandment in verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Moses is saying that Christ is not to be shared or added to a list of affections in your life. In our life today, we have so many things that are competing for our affections, whether it be our time, whether it be our joy, whether it be our finances. There's so many other things that are competing for that. In this new year, who will have your heart? In this new year, who will have your soul? Who will you serve with all of your might? Will Christ be your all in all? In this passage, this passage should challenge us to evaluate our level of commitment that we have with Christ and push us to dive deeper into a love of him. You see, the beautiful thing about the Shema is that it reveals God is not ultimately uh, focused on the intellect of man about their God. Rather, he's focused on their love of God. A relationship with Jesus is not characterized by a memorization of rights and wrongs, do's and don'ts. God knows you act based upon what you love, not what you understand. I know and understand that a McDonald's double cheeseburger is not going to help me in my resolve to get in shape. But I'm going to eat one because I love a McDonald's double cheeseburger. So you can bet I'm going to get one. This thought influences Moses' next words. In verse 6 he says, And these words that I command you, shall uh, command you today shall be on your heart. Moses drops his commandment to, love, uh, commandment to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind, and then tells us that we should store them on our hearts and in our hearts. Later in the text, in verse 8, Moses says, You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. Uh, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and shall, they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. Now, this verse right here, many Jews will misinterpret this. And uh, command and literally fasten leather or wooden uh, boxes called phylacteries to their foreheads and their arms, uh, containing on them or in them Deuteronomy 6.4. However, the Shema is clearly revealing to us that God is not concerned with what's on your head. He's concerned with what's in your heart. But Moses isn't telling us to attach boxes to our foreheads. It's more than that. 
Moses is saying that the Shema, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and might, should become your lens for seeing and interacting with the world. When your love of God is your lens for seeing and living, every decision will flow through the vein of how will this decision affect the heart of God? Are the words coming out of my mouth reflecting to the fact, reflecting to the fact that God has my heart? Am I serving the Lord with all of my might at work? This command is not something that we must know. It is also something that we must put into play, that we must put into action. This new year, will your commitments, resolutions, and areas of your life that you target include your heart? Matthew 5.8 says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. But my goal this year for me in 2017 is to see God more than I've ever seen him before. That when every time I open his word, I stand in more awe than I did yesterday. I want to see him like I never have. I want to love him like I never have. And if I want to reach this goal, I must be concerned with what has my heart. Is my heart remaining pure, being washed by the word of God, or am I letting sin creep into my heart? You have to be aware of where your heart is. I want you to notice the language shift after Moses states the Shema and the great commandment. In verse 7, he says this, You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. In the, package, in the passage, the focus moves from you to your family. It moves from you shall love to you shall teach. Parents, it's important to understand that God not only commands you to be in his word and wash yourself with him, but as well you are commanded to disciple your kids. The charge for the Great Commission to go to the ends of the earth making disciples includes your home. Don't neglect your home. I want to read you this. There was a British poet who had a discussion with a man who firmly believed that children should not be given formal religious instruction, i.e. meaning they should not be discipled, but should be free to choose uh, what they want to do when they reach the level of maturity. So the poet said, all right. Come, come to my home. He invited him to his house to see his garden that he had not tended to in months. And when the guy got there, the dude was like, you call this a garden? This is nothing but weeds. You should be down here plucking out the weeds so that way you can see the fruit, so that way you can see the beauty of the plant when it grows. And the, the poet replied with this, I do not wish to infringe upon the liberty of the garden. I wanted to give it time to express itself and choose what it wanted to do. I know some of you are thinking, CJ, you don't have kids. You don't understand. And you're right. I don't have kids yet. But I have a wife who it is. <laughs> that, <that's, laughs> I love you, baby. That's not what I mean. I love my wife. <laughs> it's my duty, is what I'm saying. It's my duty, honor, and privilege and joy to lead and disciple her. As one day I will lead and disciple my family. I'm going to pay for that. <laughs> the beauty of my role today in student ministry is that I get to walk in the lives of middle and high school students to guide them in their decisions, their thought processes, to make sure they have a biblical lens that they're looking through. But a thing that I have come increasingly to see and know is how ineffective I am apart from a partnership with mom and dad. I need you guys for my ministry with your children to be effective. 
The truth is you are the shepherd in the lives of your kids. And I put a huge emphasis on that word you. Because we cannot fall victim to the idea that the church is going to be the thing to make Christ lovers out of our children. To make uh, Bible-believing individuals out of your kids. That begins in your home. I would like to believe that on Wednesday nights it's a supplementary thing that they come to. That this isn't the only Bible reading, Bible teaching that they're going to get through the week. That when they go home, you're going to discuss with your children what's going on, what they're reading, what they're being challenged by. Parents, do not take your hands off of your kids as the poet did his garden. We have to be diligently working, pulling back the weeds so that we can see the fruit in their lives. Because the temptations for them are coming. If it's not today... It'll be tomorrow or the next day. Scripture says Satan is like a roaring lion prowling around looking for a meal to devour. And if we're not pulling back the weeds, helping our kids, discipling them, they're hung out to dry. They are to be drowned out by the weeds in the garden. Give them a chance. I pray that the Lord helps us to point them in the right direction, that we can equip and train them to love the Lord and do the work of the ministry. But I want you to know that you are on the front lines of this. And one day, when Alexis and I have children, we will be on the front lines of this. You're like, well, my life is crazy. My life is crazy. I don't, I don't have uh, all of this time. I don't, I don't know what to do. When am I supposed to do this? Well, this is how I love the omniscience of God here. He, he, he is fully aware of our schedules. He's fully aware of the demands of our lives. He knows your kids have ball games. He knows your kids have ball practice. He knows the house has got to get cleaned. He knows that you have to cook, that you have to put them to bed, that you have to get some sleep sometime and wake up and repeat this crazy schedule all over again. But in verse 7, he says, teach them when you sit in your house. How many of us lounge around the house? In 2016, I know that a lot of us have just laid on the couch and vegged out because I've done the same thing. In 2017, commit to not vegging out when you lounge around the house. Commit to talking about the Lord with your kids. Do you ask what your kids are struggling with? Man, what are they learning in their quiet times? Are they having a quiet time? And what are they being challenged by in the word of the Lord? If that doesn't work with you, look at this. It says, talk of them when you walk by the way. Now, discipleship doesn't have to be something that is set in stone that every Monday night at uh, 7 o'clock, we're going to sit down, kids, we're going to read the Bible, we're going to disciple. Now, that works for some families. There's nothing wrong with that, so don't get me wrong. But what I'm saying is some of the most fruitful conversations that Alexis and I have come in the car. We're riding around, we'll turn the radio off, and we'll just talk. Now, that's not something that's set in the stone, because sometimes she doesn't want to listen to me or hear me talk. Uh, but she just turns it up louder, drowns me out. Uh, no. But it's organic. It just happens. Uh, this can happen with your kids as well. Think about it. How, how, how much time do you have in the car with your kids when you're going to the ball field? How much time in the car do you have with your kids when you're running them to the mall? Or going to Kroger or wherever you shop for your groceries. And I'm going to tell you this. It is the Lord's sovereignty that it takes an hour to get through the Chick-fil-A line. Okay? Use that time to talk about the Lord. He also says, talk of them when you lie down and rise. Yes, our schedules are crazy. Our lives are demanding. But 100% of us are going to sleep tonight. When your kids go to bed, spend some time with them praying. 
Read the word aloud to them. You, you set the spiritual climate for your home. So make Christ a priority in your life and in your conversations and in your schedule. And then your kids will take notice. You are modeling for them how they should be. That's when, when you're walking through the living room and Billy Joe is sitting on the couch and you smack that pinky toe on the corner of the coffee table, you bite your tongue so some bad words don't come flying out because you know they will repeat that. So you hobble off and screaming on your insides because you know your pinky toe's gone. But you keep moving. The Shema begins with a personal focus, saying, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Because you will not be able to lead anyone farther than you have gone. You will not be able to lead your family farther than you have ever been or or, are willing to go. You first have to cherish Christ. You first have to have the daily quiet time. You first have to stand in awe of the word of God. And they will follow suit. In 2017, will Christ be your all in all? Because before we teach, before you can train in the things of God, you must commit yourself. Well, you, you, don't, you don't understand, TJ. I've blown 2016. I haven't been in the Word of God. I barely come to church anymore. I, I, I can't. I've blown it. Well, that's the beauty of a reset. There's another chance here. So commit yourselves for 2017 and beyond, but start with tomorrow to be in the Word of God, to steep daily in the Word of God. To, to use your time in the car wisely with your children. To lounge around the house but have a beneficial, intentional conversation with them. Be honest with them. What's 2017 going to look like for you? Will you commit to journeying, journeying farther in your relationship and trust of Christ? Will you make him your all in all? I have a goal for our church this year to reclaim family discipleship and to take hold of the responsibility we have for your children so that they understand and know what it means to love God. Take it one day at a time, one step at a time. But be intentional. What you do, they will do. So I pray that you commit 2017 to being in the word of God. If you haven't yet given your life to him, I pray that this year you would take hold of that because today is the day for salvation. Let us pray. Father, we love you. And we thank you that you fully laid your life down for us. Father, and I pray that we fully take hold of 2017 and use it for your glory, Father, and your glory alone. That the parents in this room would forget what happened last year and look forward what's, what's going to happen this year. That you would give them the strength, that you would give them the courage to lead, Father. Father, and I pray for those who are not married that they would be discipling somebody or have someone discipling them, Father. Because what we do now will affect what happens in the future.
Father God, and I pray that if there's someone in this room that does not know you, that you would save them. That they would quit trying to carry the burdens on their own, Father. That you would pull back the curtains on their eyes and that they would see your beauty and stand in awe of who you are and give their lives to you. That 2017, the cross, would be a place of refuge as it has always been. I thank you for your sacrifice that we as sinners can have a reset can be refreshed, can be washed clean, Father. And I pray that we continue to strive towards you and that 2017 for Murfreesboro would be incredible because we set it ablaze for your glory, God. We thank you and we praise you, God. And all of these things we pray in your precious and holy name. Amen.